0: Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I am the Youth Director here at SFBC. This week, Dr. Joel Kretko continues in our series, Going Through Advent, talking about the meaning behind the season of Christmas. Enjoy! I've heard something, okay? I've heard something repeated over the years in churches I've been to or visited or whatever. Every now and again, you'll hear someone say, if Jesus showed up at our doors and came into our service, uh, would we even notice him? It's an interesting question, right? It kind of prods at our, uh, our the culture of our church, and I think it's getting at something important—the uh, the heart. It's right. Do we have a community that's so united with Christ that we would welcome him and love him if he showed up here? Like that—that—that's that, good stuff. That's right. That's good. We we want that, but but at the same time. I think the answer behind the question, if Jesus showed up at our doors and came into our service, would we even notice him? I think the answer, would we even notice him, is absolutely yes. Why? Well, well, first off, because he would not be wearing clothes like you. Is your sweater made of cotton and wool? Jesus wouldn't be wearing that. He'd be in long robes, probably made of one fabric. What about the front doors? Did you all hop uh, into the baptismal uh, outside so that you could be ritually cleansed before you entered the sanctuary? You didn't. Too cold for you? Still, It's getting really cold out there. Well, we, we, we don't have one, right? We don't have ritual cleansing pools. Uh, mikvot, as they called them back then. But Jesus, he'd probably be standing out there and have been asking, where is it? Where's, where's your mikvot? Where's your mikvah? Uh when our when, so he would come in. Let's say he walks in the doors, and when our greeters say hi to him, let's say Kevin, "Hey there, are you new here? Uh, do you know what you get returned? Shalom lecha, lama ata osef lo shabbat. Peace to you. Are you having a good day? Why are you gathering? It's not the Sabbath. I mean, our greeters are amazing." At last, I checked, and Kevin, you can let everybody know now. Uh, I don't think God often gives the gift of tongues to to interpreting tongues to our greeters. It doesn't happen at least every Sunday. Uh, Kevin, you can d- double check on that one. Okay, and, and I forgot to mention. So mentioned. So Jesus, he, he comes in, and he's walking now down uh, the middle of the of the uh, of the sanctuary aisles here, and he's got a little rope, and he's leading a beautiful. A uh, one-year-old lamb down the aisle here. Uh, he's also covered in dirt, and he's got a big bag on his back from traveling. He's, he's just going up to offer a sacrifice for Mary, because she was feeling sick this week. She couldn't make it, and so he's going he's gonna to bring the, this lamb for sacrifice for her. Uh, she, she takes the lamb to Pastor Rod. Uh, Rod, who I imagine is sitting over here, if watching the video. Uh, He takes it uh, to Rod and says, uh, okay, so, uh, and uh, Rod now has the gift of interpretation, too, so he can understand the Aramaic. And, uh, says, okay, Rod, how would you like to to cut its neck and drain the blood? Hands the animal over to Rod. Rod, I imagine, kinda goes big-eyed and uncertain what to do. And then he, after he does that, he'll, uh, come up to the front, light some incense, probably raise his hands, look up to the sky with open eyes and start singing a psalm loudly for all to hear. Maybe his, his eyes tear up as he gets to a spot where it talks about the Israelites being exiled and how much he and his family long for God to finally make things right for God's chosen people, for Israel. After church, he makes sure not to eat even to eat or even touch. One of the various amazing pork roasts our congregants make. I'm thinking of uh, Andrew or Jeremy. Like the, the, we've got good chefs here, but he wouldn't touch it. So you're sitting here. If Jesus showed up at our doors and came into our service, would we even notice him? What do you think? Yes, yes you would. Why? Because Jesus was a first century Jew. God came to our earth and he was a first century Jew. He lived a Jewish life under the law of Moses. He was culturally and ethnically a Jew. And that's, and that's really important. It affects your life and how Christians live their lives. But it's important in one kind of way and really deadly in another. In fact, a lot of early Christians were getting this, they were getting this wrong. And, th- and that's what we see in the passage that we're looking at today. So, if you could, please turn to Galatians chapter four. I'm going to add a few a few verses here or there from the end of, the, of chapter three as well. So let's get some context as we as we open up here. This is a letter written by the apostle Paul, a guy who's bringing the message of Jesus to uh, those who are especially not Jewish, so Gentiles, nations, those who are not ethnically ethnically Jews. He's writing this letter somewhere around 45. Between 45 A.D. and 55 A.D., that's 20 years or so after Jesus died and rose from the dead. He's writing to this area, and so this is a picture I have of uh, of Galatia, this kind of larger area in the ancient uh, in ancient um, Asia Minor area, uh, modern day Turkey, and he's probably writing to south to the south Galatian area there. And uh, we, he, we're not sure exactly where he's writing from. It could be to the east in Antioch. You might be able to see it on the map there, or in the west in somewhere like Ephesus or Corinth. Uh, The point is, he brought the gospel to these people, mostly non-Jews. And at one point, he did that. And now, and now he's not there anymore. What happened when he left? That's the question. That's what's going on with this letter. Why is this letter being written? You got to think. This is an actual letter of an actual guy. Who, Apostle Paul, who wrote this to these churches in this area. Okay, the whole story of this letter is that there are these people called Judaizers. Uh, that's what he calls them. There are, there are folks who, putting it simply, they came and said, Yes, being a follower of Jesus, being saved by Jesus of Nazareth, great. Yes, we're on board. But you need to follow some of the Old Testament laws too, just a few. Um, There are a big few ones that they seemed to really focus on. It was was mostly circumcision, Sabbath, Holy Days, and food laws. That's what we can kind of pick up from the context. And, I mean, weren't they on to something? Israel had been following these laws for centuries, haven't they? How on earth was it right to stop now? Uh, Or to make a change now? I just told you what it would look like for Jesus to, to walk into our service. Wouldn't he have done those things as a Jew? Yeah. So why shouldn't his followers do the same thing? Follow Jesus. Follow the law. You can see their argument, right? So Paul, he's in the middle of a letter trying to correct them on this matter. And like I said, uh, this, is, this is really important for us who want to follow Jesus today. So we're picking up in the middle of his argument. What you need to see is that Paul is switching back and fourth, between talking about life as a Jew throughout Israel's history and life now for all of God's people in the church, and particularly Gentiles, he seems to be writing to. He's going uh, to signal this switch with the pronoun we or are. So we or are, we'll be talking about we Jews in the past. So that's really important for interpreting this passage. Okay, so here it is. But before faith came, we, Jews in the past, were guarded under the law constrained until the coming faith was revealed. So then, the law became our, Jews in the past, guardian until Christ, in order that we, Jews in the past, could be justified by the faith. But after the faith came, we, Jews in the past, are no longer under a guardian. So you you need to think, uh, and uh, they're saying basically that you need to follow some of the Old Testament law to be in a right relationship with God. Well, let me, tell you what, uh, let, let me tell you about the law, I think Paul would say here. Before, before the faith came, um, that is this thing we call Christianity, belief in Christ, the fulfillment of God's promises, that's the faith. You've got to see here that he's saying this new thing with Jesus is what he's talking about because there was still faith in the Old Testament. Abraham um, believed God, put faith in God, and he was counted righteous. So there's still faith in the Old Testament. But before the faith came, kind of the culmination of the Christian faith, um, before that happened, th- things weren't all sunshine and rainbows. The law guarded and constrained the Jewish people. It, it boxed them in. Do you like being constrained? Do you want someone telling you what to do all the time? Okay, so a long time ago, uh, I was uh, uh, at a bachelor party actually Tim's bachelor party, and we, uh, we took a trip out to the island to celebrate him getting married, and we uh, were at this cabin on a lake, and it was really fun, a lot of really good time, and uh, one of the days, we were there for the weekend, uh, we drove down a road, and then we suddenly got to this big rock face, and there's a hole, and so we're going in the hole, it's like, okay, and so we uh, climb in, and there's this big cavern, and it's really cool, and really, like, kind of uh, mysterious, and not, not the usual thing we do. And But then it starts to get narrower and narrower, and you're kind of starting to shimmy sideways. And you're uh, starting to get uh, down on your hands and knees, crawling. And then you're kind of, like, on your belly. And uh, at that point, when you're on, when I'm on my belly, and I'm surrounded by rock for how many miles or kilometers or whatever... And I'm thinking to myself immediately, there's gonna be an earthquake. There's gonna be an earthquake, and this is how I die. This is it. It's gonna be horrible. I hate this. I feel so constrained and guarded and boxed in right now. (laughs) So, that feeling that I'm talking about, that claustrophobia, uh, I feel like that's gotta be what the law felt like sometimes. You know, like some of the time, not all of the time. I I don't think that it was, uh, that that feeling was the law's fault. Uh, that wasn't a problem with the law. That was a problem with the people who had it. But but we'll get back to that. How would you like uh, that feeling of claustrophobia when you thought about your faith? Not great, right? So you gotta gotta get your, your your head in the ancient Jewish mindset here. They are feeling constrained, and the law was constraining them. And there was something there was something going on in them. Like the for example, the, the cave I was in was actually very safe and good, and it was groomed and taken care of. But it was something in me that was making me feel really constrained, right? There was a problem. Okay, so keep that in mind. That's what's going on with them. And then Paul, he's going he's gonna to bring another metaphor in. He says that the, the law was the Jew's guardian. That's the term he uses. The Greek term is literally pedagogue. Um, wh- what do you think of when you think of that term? I think of Kyle Friesen in our small group, right? T- he's, a, he's a teacher in our church. Yeah, the underpaid, underappreciated heroes of the modern world, right, who help raise our kids. It's pedagogy. pedagogue, Pedagogy. Uh, that's what the term means to us today. Back then, it was different. A pedagogue was not a teacher, like we think of the term pedagogy. A pedagogue was usually someone who was actually an adult slave, who watched over the behavior of children after they had been weaned and then grown a bit. So uh, basically from pre-adolescence to adulthood. The pedagogues were not the authority for teaching, and they weren't the teacher per se, they were just an enforcer. The father of the house, now that was the teacher. The pedagogue was there to protect the child until adulthood and to help them stay on course. They would bring them to school, they would carry their books. In all reality, and this is we have this in the documents, they would stop boys from getting too close to girls. T- teenage boy stuff, right? Uh, whatever, that's, that's what they did. Um, I actually have some quotes here, if you don't believe me. So uh, these are from some writers right around the time of Paul and what they said about the pedagogue, the term that Paul was using here. So this first one's from, from Libanus. He says, For pedagogues are guards of the blossoming youth. They are keepers. They are a fortified wall. They drive out the undesirable lovers, see? Uh, thrusting them away and keeping them out not allowing them to fraternize. With the boys, they are a protective wall. And as a prison. I mean, not bad could be a good thing. <laughs> okay, and here's, here's another one. This is from Seneca. So another person around the time of Paul talking about pedagogue, this term. And this is uh, uh, Seneca speaking as a pedagogue, as though they were the pedagogue. Walk thus and so. Eat thus and so. This is the proper con- conduct. For a man, and that for a woman. This for a married man, and this for a bachelor. Now, <laughs> Seneca was not British, but I just, when I, every time I read that line, thought <laughs> this has got to be. This is a. This, that just sounds so British, right? <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> if you could, if that passes as a British accent. So, yeah. See what they're doing here. See, see the role of a pedagogue. It was kind of the kid's bodyguard. They kept them safe. But, but get this they they weren't the authority the, the father was so it's coming back now to our text before the faith came we Jews in the past were guarded under the law constrained until the coming faith was revealed so then the law became our Jews in the past guarding until Christ in order that we could be justified by the faith but after the faith has come we are no longer under a guardian pedagogue so if the law was a pedagogue if the guarding and it was guarding the you know, little kid Israelites throughout their history, that, that that's that's its role. But it was not the teacher or the authority. God the Father was. It was an intermediary. It was a protection. Um, I, I like the image of training wheels. Uh, the law was training wheels for how to behave on this planet and in a way that honors God. It, it was doing a very good thing. But what happened when Jesus came? Uh, what When the faith came? The The crutch, it's not required. An adult doesn't need a babysitter. I mean, maybe some, some of your kids, you might think they do. But yeah, the, the, the training wheels here are off and you're on a Harley Davidson, right? That, it's, a, it's a graduation. You can hear Paul saying it. Do you who want to pick and choose Old Testament laws, do you want to go back to being children? Do you not want to live with adult responsibilities? Do you want to be able to make wise decisions yourself? But Paul's not done yet. He, he, he makes it worse. So I've got the next part of the passage here a slide for you. Now, I say, for as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he is a master of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the time set by his father. So also we, Jews, uh, when we were children, we were serving as slaves under the elemental spirits or principles of the world. Okay, so uh, we need to consider the ancient Greco-Roman society here with this passage I've just shown you. A child was not a legal person. They they didn't have legal value, really. They didn't have many rights. That was uh, the same position that a slave was in, so they're actually equivalent in that way. So Paul already said that Jews, under the law, were children being guided, but now he's saying that that position was, was no better than being a slave, at least legally speaking. Now, I don't think Paul wants you to think of a slave in the sense of whips and beatings and torture and the stuff that we, we hear about from, from the, the recent past in the South. Uh, he's just saying that Jews were in a situation where they were forced to follow a, for pr- particular directions. Excuse me. They were forced to follow particular directions. He says that they were serving as slaves under the elemental s- principles of the world. Uh, that term, elemental spirits or principles, it's difficult to translate or understand the term, it's the term stoichia. I think it means something like the fundamentals. It can even be used to refer to stuff like um, the ABCs of whatever topic. So um, it's like the basic way that the world does stuff. It's the ABCs of whatever topic you want. Uh, it's, it's, and in this context, it's, it's elementary religion in this context, right? It's, it's, it's training wheels. The law was the ABCs of religious practice. Not in a bad way, um, just it was not the end goal. But then something happened, right? It was time for the kids to grow up. So here, the next part of the passage. But when the fullness of time came, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those under the law, in order that we, Jews in the past, might receive adoption, or I guess Jews also in the present here. And because you, get okay, changed now, you, Gentile nations, are sons now, God sent out the spirit of his son into our, so Jews and Gentiles, hearts crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, also an heir through God. When the fullness of time came, uh, the fullness of time, maybe you've heard that before, You've heard people say that, oh, you know, Paul's talking about the state of the world when Jesus came. And you got the Roman Empire, you've got the roads, the Roman roads that are really great for travel. You've got a lingua franca, everybody's speaking the same language. Um, you know, it's perfectly set up. It's the fullness of time. Ah, uh, Like, I, I love the idea and, and typically the enthusiasm and trying to figure out what the text says, but I, that's not what it's referring to. Because you got to follow the text, right? What What did Paul just talk about before this? The time period, what was it? What time period is he talking about? He's talking about the period between adolescence and adulthood. The fullness of time, in the metaphor, it's when they're an adult, right? So the time with the pedagogue's over, and they've, uh, they've become adults, and they're legal adults, and um, they've matured. That's what he's talking about, the fullness of the time. of he's, They're out of that relationship with the pedagogue. For us, uh, it's the driver's license, it's legal drinking age, it's being able to vote and moving out of the house. You're doing adult things now. Well, I mean, maybe some of us wish moving out was part of, a part of this, but hey, <laughs> I won't say anymore. <laughs> and, okay, so what's the event uh, that's going to bring uh, the people, God's people to adulthood? How, how are they finally going to grow up? And This is what the text tells us. God sent Jesus. God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those under the law, in order that we, Jews, might receive the adoption. God sent his son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God's very self, and he, he did it in the most mind boggling way. He entered the world through birth. Jesus was born of a woman, he was, he was a human. He was born into real life, like we are here, like you are there and I am here. He, he was experiencing it through the optic nerves and he's seeing things with his optic nerves in his eyes and going to his brain and, and nervous system and like all that. He's a real flesh and blood person, but it was God. And it's crazy, but, and, and because he's in the world like this, uh, he was a real uh, first century Jew, born to a Jewish woman in the first century born to Mary. And he came born under the law. That is, he came, like I said, as someone who's in the Jewish system, under the law. He came as one of his own people, as an Israelite. He came and he lived out the life and lifestyle that he had asked them to adopt, the law. Jesus was born under the law so that he could redeem those under the law. Now it might be tempting to say, Yes, I am under the law, and Jesus came to redeem me. That's what this passage is talking about. That's a mistake. In this context, Paul is talking about Jesus coming for Jewish people. Remember that we, he's using to, to refer to being a Jew. So remember, follow the context here. Now why is that important? Why does it matter that Jesus was born a Jew under the law to redeem Jewish people? You might say, so that he could follow the law perfectly and impute that righteousness to us. That's a way of looking at it, for sure. But the thing is, the the law was not just moral commands. Read your Old Testament. It was a whole ethnic system, a societal system. It involved rituals, dietary restrictions, travel plans, holidays, social structures. It's really all the moving parts of an entire self-sustained culture. Uh, A lot of the law was symbolic practice. Uh, Think about the dietary laws. Um, I mean, don't they seem a little bit arbitrary? Uh, We can only bacon now, right? God doesn't care. But the point of those laws originally was to separate the Israelites from the nations around them, to teach the lesson that we have to create ways of being different and showing that difference. In the ancient world, who you ate with, it was really a big matter of consequence because uh, at the dinner table you would uh, make treaties and covenants with other nations. Uh, the table was a place of fellowship, and the table was a place where um, you would have your closest associations. And so, to have these di- these dividing lines would actually stop certain relationships from being formed and certain gods from entering into the uh, the Israelite system. So, there's a purpose for this in the Old Testament law, and that was a really good way of teaching a lesson in the 1st millennium BCE or the late 2nd millennium BCE. But times change. Cultures change. Symbols change. Meals change. And with ch- with that time change comes the need for adaptation. The training wheels can't hold an adult. But more importantly, that period under the law taught the lesson that exterior commands and boundaries aren't actually beneficial if there's no heart change. Israel kept failing to keep the law. They, they were cursed. And Jesus came to redeem them from that judgment from God. That's what Paul's referring to here. He says uh, this just just prior. He says, Christ redeemed us, Jews, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for Jews. Creating an external culture and set of societal rules and norms didn't work because there was something wrong with the internal. It kept leading to a curse. Read your Old Testament over and over and over. It just didn't work, even though the law was good. There was something wrong. Uh, they, they were constrained, even though they were totally safe by the law, and the law was good, like me in a cave, right? But something in me was saying, ah, no, there was there was, was something within me that was wrong. Living under the law taught the Israelites this lesson. I, I mean, some of us might wish that when you got up, uh, tomorrow morning, Monday morning, you looked out your window, the sun's shining down, and suddenly the sun gets brighter, and a light shines down in a scroll. <clears throat> Heavenly scroll descends uh, from the sky and it uh, you open it up and it tells you exactly what to do for the whole week to live a righteous life in our culture. Down to, to, to the subpoint C3A Roman numeral three. It's got everything for your whole week. And that sounds great, right? Like, man, wouldn't wouldn't we love to just have that? Like, how, how are we supposed to be engaging in our life and our culture and all that? It's very confusing. But Here's the thing, the history of Israel tells us it wouldn't work. We need internal transformation. Culture changes. New situations require wise and adaptable ways of approaching things. It wouldn't work for us, and it didn't work for Israel. And Jesus comes into Israel's broken system. God did not immediately get rid of that system. Jesus didn't come and say, all right, that didn't work. Well, now. Okay, we're going to move on to the next thing here. Uh, let's get some gentiles in here. Let's do something different. No, he did he didn't. He lived a Jewish life. He but he also didn't come as a moral Greek. He he, he could have, right? I he could have lived a perfect moral life as a Greek, couldn't he? Like eat bacon, but not be but be, but be, but be perfectly moral. Like, yeah, I imagine he could have. Maybe maybe I'm crazy there. Uh he could, he could have come as a Greek philosopher, right? Like, God can do what he can do what he wants and live a perfect life. But no, God met his people in the culture they were in, in a failed project that didn't embody what the law was trying to guide them towards. The pedagogue, a very good pedagogue, uh, in and of itself, was not keeping the teenager in check like it was supposed to. And I mean, are we surprised here? I, I don't know about you, but... Me, when I was a teen- teenager, I-, I think you would have needed more than 50 bodyguards, and maybe that wouldn't even have worked to keep me from checking off this list of all the things you shouldn't do by the time you're 18. Like it was, it was terrible, right? How do you stop um, a teenager from making stupid choices? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, and I'm sure some of you can resonate with that. Um, I mean, one off the top of my head. I had, maybe some of you have seen my high school pictures, I had, like, the the, the Justin Bieber swoosh haircut. Like, I actually had that. And I, I like to claim I had it before him. But, I mean, there's debate there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I would like to think I'm the, the, the trendsetter. But, anyways, I had that, and I really wish I would have had a pedagogue to just kind of come and snip, 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 snip. Because it was terrible. It was ugly. <laughs> In hindsight, it's embarrassing. And I've tried to uh, completely... Um, Cleanse the internet of these photos. So if you have one, I'm sure some of my friends do. Don't show anyone. But anyways, yeah, I had that, and I, it would have been nice to have a pedagogue to, to stop me. But how do you stop a teenager, right? So so Israel, they're they're that's their same history. They rebelled against the pedagogue. It didn't work. They needed an inner change. I needed to see that that haircut was terrible. So. <coughs> If Jesus walked in here, in the church you're in right now, uh, with a rope, singing a psalm, and bacon avoiding, that does it, doesn't it mean much to us. But to a first century Jew, that meant that God was meeting them in a failed system, in their own failure. God was showing them what it meant to truly be an Israelite in their culture and in their world. Uh, he showed them the inner transformation. He did it! He was inner... The, he had that transformation. And, uh... He showed them how that could affect the Israelite culture and bring life to it. He took on their culture and breathed the life of God into it. And then he died and he ended the cycle of cursing that kept falling on them. He met, Jesus met them uh, where they were at in the broken culture that was supposed to reflect God to the world. Okay, and so for us then, it's, uh, it's graduation time, right? That's, that's where we come in. That's the part of the story that we get invited into. Um, and so here's, here's the verse for you. And because you, Gentiles, nations, are now sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, also an heir through God. So you sitting here today, um, you, you are the continuation of this story. Jesus is meeting you by His Spirit in your broken culture. Uh, God is meeting us in the world where, where we're living in, and, and first off, He's offering up forgiveness, transformation <clears throat> to everybody. Like you, you can call God Abba, Father. Uh, the term Abba, it's it's an Aramaic term for like dad or something like that. It's not mommy or daddy language, but more of a close, familiar, familial, familial term um, that an adult child might use for their parent, um, for whatever reason, later in life for me, uh, when my dad would, would phone me, I would always say, uh, hey Pops, um, that's my, well, that's my adult term for him, I call my dad Pops, uh, that, that's kind of what's going on here, God becomes dad, God becomes Pops, he's, he's a good, good father, a good, good Pops, like, like that kind of thing, an adult to, uh, adult kind of familial, familial term. And I love this language of Abba because, like, think about the metaphor uh, that he just used. There's this child who's walking around with a pedagogue, and the pedagogue is, uh, like, showing him which way to go, but the father isn't present. But here now, now in Christ, the child can um, call out to the father because the father's right there with them, right? That's what's going on. The pedagogue's gone, and now the father's here, and uh, the authority and the teaching and the presence and the power of the father through the spirit, so we have the spirit of the son in us, um, that, that's, that's what's happening with us in Christ now. And that's the thing, he's giving his spirit. Do you know where that imagery comes from, so the language of spirit? Another word for spirit, the same word is breath in Greek um, and in Hebrew. It's the breath of God. In the ancient world, the gods would breathe life into things, to various things. But can you guess what predominantly happened? Where would the gods breathe their life? It'd be in a temple. But the question is where in the temple? You gotta go to the back, the very back room, kind of their holy of holies, and in the holy of holies there be a thing there, It'd be a little statue, and, and it's called an idol or an image of the god. And those images of the god would have the life, the breath of the god breathed into them, and that's to be the mediating presence of the God, the god kind of making its presence known here on earth. Now here's the question, in Yahweh's temple, where was the idol, the image? You go into the, to the the temple, We go into the antechamber, you go into the Holy of Holies, and you look for the little idol's figurine, big one maybe, where is it? It's not there. There isn't one. So where is Yahweh's image? That's the thing. Humans are made the image of God. We are where the breath of God is being breathed into. The Spirit of His Son coming into us, is the spirit, the animating breath of God, like in the ancient world. It's this image of God coming into us and transforming us from the inside and making us into something else. That's where the breath of God, the spirit of God is. So if you're a Christian, and then he's breathing life into you and the presence of his Son into you so that you can be the image of God to the world, just like Jesus was the image of God to the Jewish people. You can bring the life of God into your own world. We're sons and daughters. We're grown up. We're given the gift of the Spirit of Jesus to create a culture that reflects the beauty and goodness of God. In a profound way that I quote, don't quite understand, we're also asked to be um, the prophetic voice of God, let's say. God's breath can speak through us. I mean, we're not necessarily always comfortable in, in us Baptists talking in this kind of way of God speaking in a tangible way through people. But I can tell you, I had an experience one time. I was I was really struggling. Um, I was kept saying to myself, you know, like, is God my father? How is God my father? Like, I really want this affirmation, like, God, that you're my father. And it was just, it was an issue in my life. And I remember sitting on a couch one time, and actually on the opposite couch was our pastor Tim. This was quite a while back. And I remember he just kind of out of the blue, he goes, hey, I think God wants to say this to you. God wants to say that, Joel, I'm your father. I was just like, what? How did you, where did you, what? That's from out of nowhere, what, what's going And the thing is, it was Tim, uh, but it was also God breathing through Tim and giving me a message. Uh, it, it was, it's crazy that this kind of thing happens. Uh, Rod and Tim, they talked about God being silent and distant, and Rod mentioned that Jesus empathizes, empathizes with us in our weakness. But do you see how he actually met with me and my weakness here? In that, in that story, Paul will say elsewhere that he, um, he was comforted by God through the arrival of Timothy. So it's actually through Timothy, and in my case it actually was Timothy, uh, that, that God met him and, and comforted him. So it's through people. So, so here's something. You need to get this. This is, this is very, very important. The body of Christ is... Remember, so important, the body of Christ is the body of Christ. The body, hands, the feet, the arms, legs, all of it. We are the body of Christ. We're doing it. We are the extension of Jesus' presence. Jesus is still doing the same thing he did when he was in the flesh here on earth, except now he's bringing God's spirit to into, into our world in a hundred different million... A hundred million different cultures, uh, or times and places. He's changing us so that we can discern the best ways to walk in the world, regardless of the culture that we live in. It's it's, it's the true faith. It's the grown-up faith. It's the the no-hand-holding faith. It's a supernatural faith. But there is a problem here. The problem is that uh, we can easily derail this. We can end up in the same place as the Galatians. Paul's language is actually, it's really crazy. He compares being focused on this or that religious practice or custom, cultural thing, to being just as bad as going back to worship other gods. So check out this passage here. But at that time, when you Gentiles did not know God, you were enslaved to the things which by nature are not gods. But now, because you Gentiles have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn again to the weak and miserable elemental spirits or principles? Do you Gentiles want to be enslaved to them all over again? You carefully observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest perhaps I have labored for you in vain. I ask you, brothers, become like me, because I have also become like you. You have done me no wrong, my children for whom I am having birth pains again, until Christ is formed in you. Did you catch the comparison? Paul saying that they used to be pagans and enslaved demons in their religious practice. And now, after having become Christians, trying to uphold this or that law as essential to the faith, that's just as bad as paganism. That would also be slavery. And it's it's slavery in two ways. For one, it is only Jesus that saves. There is nothing else we can add on. No cultural practice, no special prayer, no ritual, no moral deed that we think is extra special. No intricate theological system Jesus by his spirit saves our culture we kind of have a problem with the, this mentality we're, we're all about the add-ons you want a new car well we've got the deluxe model you you want to buy groceries well have you become a premium member you like Disney well we got a plus for that and and once you're in we'll, we'll even we'll, we'll charge you for some more movies like <laughs> Who does that, right? Have you experienced this? I'm not not paying thirty dollars on top of Disney Plus to watch the new live-action Mulan. Thank you very much, Disney. But, but that's besides the point. We we live in a culture of of plus, right? A new car plus, Disney plus, and it's tempting for people to have a Jesus plus, something added to Jesus that makes you a true Christian, something uh, you are a better Christian. Or just a Christian, but it's Jesus plus. Adding to what Jesus did is seriously problematic for our theology. We don't want to steal his glory or pervert the message of lavish grace and generosity in Christ. But there's another way that we get enslaved. It's what flows from what the Galatians were doing. They were adding cultural elements of the law and saying that you had to do them to be a true Christian. You can see it in Paul's comment here, you observe days and months, seasons, years. Um, that it's referring to calendar event, events in the Jewish law, ethnic sacred days, and they're demanding everyone else keep them too. And this is the rub. Adding this or that cultural thing to our salvation in Christ gets in the way of God's adopting spirit, transforming us and our community to be the presence of Jesus in our culture. So we, we here at Sardis Fellowship might be great about not worshipping foreign gods. We might not get wasted and sleep around. We might shout about Jesus' salvation from the rooftops. What if things start to slip in on that stop our church from being free to follow Jesus in the many ways he can be followed and in the many places his spirit wants to change our world? I don't think anyone's going to be demanding church-wide circumcision anytime soon. <laughs> But there are other things that slowly shift into a place of priority. They become Jesus plus. And it's not like they're unimportant issues. Circumcision, Sabbath, all of that, they were very important in the day and time of that the Bible was written. Um, they were uh, there for, for, for hundreds of years beforehand. The symbolism was still very important even in Paul's day. But still, there's this plus mentality that came in. And it could happen for us too. Things like, uh, Jesus and uh, Jesus plus this kind of music Jesus plus hymns Jesus plus hill song whatever. Um, Jesus plus this kind of Bible teacher and not that one. Jesus plus this way of celebrating Christmas not that. Jesus plus this kind of entertainment not that. Jesus plus this kind of technology not that please Jesus plus this way of doing church not that way. Jesus plus this particular po- political position and not that one. Jesus plus these kinds of jokes, not those. Jesus plus this theological topic, not that. Jesus plus my unquestioned autonomy. Jesus plus how you raise your kids. Jesus plus how you live out your marriage. Everything I've just said, all of these things can vary from culture to culture, from people to people. You might think your way of doing it is the right way or the biblical way. I can assure you that you're not the first person to think that, and that your way is doing it the right way, and I can guarantee you that your way is probably a lot more culturally embedded than you might think. Do you have a servant pedagogue following your child around all day to make sure that they stay on track? You might wish you did, but that's par for the course in Paul's world. I mean, the very fact that I'm standing here speaking to you for what's supposed to be 30 minutes but always ends up being 40 minutes for me, um, from a makeshift kind of pulpit on a Sunday where we meet in a building. like None of that is technically biblical. The early church met mostly in small groups and houses and house churches. This is a cultural thing we do. Is it good? Yes. Is it the only way to do things? No. Is it wrong? No. Should we be seeking the spirit of Jesus to guide us? Of course. Into the, uh, to guide us into the most life-giving things. But we become blind to these things, and we assume our way is the right way we almost subconsciously become Christians plus. The Galatians were Christians plus. They thought that certain cultural or religious practices couldn't be changed. I don't think many of us here would uh, tell people that they're not believers for this or that thing they do. It doesn't happen too often. But I think we might judge them very harshly on the inside. I know I've been that person before. We can't create hierarchies of better Christian or lesser Christian. We're We're all just Christians. We're all on the exact same plane. No one is better, no one is worse. And as soon as we start to make those divisions, we lose the ability to be incarnational people. People who, like Jesus, bring the presence of God into a specific time and place. So it's not cultural packaging we're looking for. Paul tells us what we're looking for, and I'll show you here in some of the verses taken from Galatians. He says, What Jesus will look like is that there is neither Jew nor Greek. That is, ethnicity or cultural differences will not make you better or worse. There's neither slave nor free. Whatever social hierarchies that is, our culture might create, we tear them down. Everyone's equal. There's neither male or female. Men are not better than women. Women are not better than men. We're all equal because we are all one in Christ Jesus. And it looks like the spirit it looks like love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control it's people who have crucified the flesh together um, and reject those that way of living and, and we live by the spirit we walk by the spirit that same word that's stoichia it was the same thing here it's just a verb form it's this idea of keeping in step the one two three of the spirit carry the burdens of one another that's our goal And it doesn't matter this or that cultural thing, circumcision, whatever, for neither this nor anything matters. But the only thing is that we are a new creation. That's Paul's vision. Isn't that great? Isn't that what we're looking for? What it would be like? A church without superiority complexes, dividing lines, dominating hierarchies, class divisions, full of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit, killing sin, following where the Spirit might lead, caring for one another. Letting Jesus be the, 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 the foundation of salvation. That's what, that's what Jesus looks like in today's culture. And we can lose that incarnational reality. Paul says this, this is the last slide. I ask you brothers become like me because I have also become like you. You've done me no wrong. My children for whom I am having birth pains again until Christ is formed in you. We can lose the ability to be incarnational people. People who imitate what God did in Jesus. It happened to the Galatians. Christ was no longer formed in them. They weren't like Paul in their adaptability and Jesus alone mentality. They allowed cultural issues, issues, important issues that is, to get in the way of of this gospel transformation, the spirit reaching into all avenues of life. We can't have that happen. So if Jesus walks in here, we're walking in today to our church, would we notice him? Well, I hope so, but, but not in the way I said at the start. I actually hope Jesus already does walk in here every day, in some of you, in all of you, in me, in the body of Christ, and I hope he's bringing God to the various lives we live. That beauty of the Incarnation, it's the miracle God has done. Jesus lives and he breathes resurrection life and presence into us, and in some profound way we continue the Incarnation. Not that we become God, but that God is moving and breathing and living with us for each uh, each other, for us, and in the world. So where where are you? Are are you walking in the Spirit? Are you imagining how your life could be the breath of God and what Jesus would want to look like in the 21st century? How do you view other Christians in the way that they do life? Are you critical? For others, I wonder, um, maybe some of you... You coming to church has kind of been your Jesus plus thing. You know, you go to church and that's my cultural thing and that makes me a Christian, but that's not our calling. We're called to something more, to be so much more. So I'm inviting you this week, uh, I'm inviting you to humility, to ask where God might show us, the, uh, to ask if God might show us the areas that it's become Jesus plus in our church, in our lives, in how we judge others. Or perhaps even we see it in other people. And we, we have to give a loving, kind word and say, Hey, that's not just Jesus alone here. You've brought something in that's actually not the, that's not the gospel. It's got to be just Jesus, and, and we've got to be careful things don't slip in. So I'm inviting you to ask the breath of God to come into, uh, to, and for God to breathe his life into you so that you can be the presence of Jesus in the world. So that when you walk into a room, someone might warmly say, huh, that person reminds me of someone. Right, that's the goal. So thank you so much. I'm going to cut it here. I can barely talk now. Thank you all for, uh, for coming out this week. And uh, yeah, God, God bless you as you go out in your week. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.